0: Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I am so happy to have with me today Alex Kuhn. He is the leadership advisor to entrepreneurs all over the world. Alex, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story with all of us.
1: Oh, Emily, I'm, I'm pumped. I am fired up to be here. And after you told me about this passion project of yours, it's like, you know how you get those moments where you just feel your skin tingle. You're like, yes, yes, yes. yes." Everything you say is yes. So love being here. So really honored.
0: And you know what your passion for the work that you do exudes as well. And, uh, and what's so neat about you and why you're such a good fit for the Mothers of Misfits podcast, is you're a self-declared misfit, right? You've gone through your life really charting your own path. And now you get to encourage other entrepreneurs who are doing the exact same thing. But I know the life of a misfit is not always an easy one. So can you share your story as Um, Your experiences in school, I think, would be helpful to talk about. And then I think you kind of dabbled in the quote-unquote traditional or conventional path and then decided that wasn't for you and got into what you're doing now. So walk us all through that and how the the wonderful fact about you being a misfit has really guided you through your journey.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, this is... And uh, I will... You know, I have a way to be sometimes too verbose. So I will make sure I hit the highlights that will hopefully resonate with, you know, if you're a parent out there and whether you are a misfit yourself or you are raising a misfit right now. Um, and uh, by the way, you know, before this now, Emily said misfit. She wants to take back that word. I love it because I think it's something that the first thing is that I was very fortunate. I would say this, and as a, from a, my parents' perspective, I was very fortunate to have parents that allowed me to be a misfit. So I think when I look back at my uh, existence and growing up and the activities and the crazy shenanigans and my ideas and just following my gut with no rational mind, my parents literally just said, okay, go for it. And they supported me that. So I think that at the end of the day, that's even just my parenting style. I'm very fortunate with my son, uh, Lincoln. You know, I can see those traits happening. But going back to my early childhood, I mean, I can re- legitimately remember. You know, at the you know the entrepreneur side of me was probably the first thing that came out. You know, at the age of six, I was the kid that saw my parents and them talking about how they had too many cucumbers in the garden. And I had this genius idea because I was so motivated to buy Nutty Buddy bars down at the local grocery store that I said, you know what? Why not go to the side of the road and sell cucumbers? I mean, of course, cucumbers is way better than lemonade. And I say that very sarcastically, but yeah.
0: <laughs> that's no, what I was it's up for sale. challenge, Alex. Oh my God.
1: And like, the funny thing too of the whole thing is that I mean, we lived out in the middle of nowhere, right? So maybe like two cars, three cars would come by today. And I can remember the first day, nobody stopped. Very frustrated as a kid, but I was not going to give up. And so what did this kid do? Talk about being a misfit, Learning from your parents, not supposed to get on the road in front of a car. Nope, I took my sign. Every time a car came down the road, I put the side in the middle. The cars would break and they might scream, what the heck are you doing? And I'd say, hey, buy a cucumber. And that was my first quote unquote business and job in life.
0: And, and you were six, just to be I, clear. I was this, six. Is, this is first grade, something like that.
1: First grade, yeah. And
0: you know, I mean even I could even go back before that. I mean,
1: I always tell people that I was I was stubborn. I, I probably still my wife would say I still have some of those stubborn tendencies as well, but my I was I mean, i was stubborn until I mean since I was born. Like my parents uh, weren't actually able to get me to start speaking till I was about four and a half years old. Like I really took a lot of time to the point where doctors were even concerned that maybe I had—I um, know it's called intellectual disabilities—but you know they would say I had mental challenges. They wanted me to take away. They wanted me to go into special needs school. I had to go to speech school. I had to do all these different things because people were saying you're different. You clearly are not as a high intelligence level as your peers. But I think the reality was is. I thought that this was a better way to speak. I felt this was a better way to get things done. And I had a, I'm sure my parents would say, I had, I had this gift of being able to get people to work around, you know, what I wanted as a kid. And maybe every parent feels that way. But, uh, you yeah, know, I mean, growing up, I, I, I was always the kid that was, I, just, I loved motivation. I just loved motivation. I mean, I did I did okay in school. And in fact, when I was actually, my first, Four years, I went to a Catholic school, and I was I was failing. I was literally failing left and right because I can remember the the main story I can remember was that I still do it to this day, where I actually was holding my pencil "quote unquote" incorrectly by the school standards, and I can remember getting a test back, and on this handwriting assessment, they had an A plus, and they scratch it out with a red marker, and they gave me an F. And I was second, third grade. I remember thinking go off to say, why? Like, what? what's wrong? And they said, well, you're holding your pencil wrong, Alex. And when you start to hold your pencil correctly, we will go ahead and give you that A+. Stubborn little Alex said, no way. I see kids are holding the pencil correctly and they weren't writing nearly half as well. So what did Alex do? I literally stuck into my, I put my heels into the ground and said, nope, 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 nope. I kept failing and failing and failing. I mean, to the point where, you know, at the end of third grade, I was definitely the highest grade for C's. You know, I was not considered one of the, the top students in the class by far. I was always, you know, kind of put into the lower levels, et cetera. It wasn't until fourth grade from an academic perspective where I kind of started to shift and turn around from a grade's perspective because I went to a new school. I met Miss White, and I still think her to this day. And I think that's a great piece of advice for anyone about, you know, teachers, uh, people, supervisors, influencers, that you know it only takes one person to give that child the freedom to really be who they were. And once you allow them to be who they are, they will ultimately blossom into an individual maybe so far beyond your imagination. It's incredible. And I remember Miss White, first day of class, she asked us to do a handwriting assignment to see what we've kept over the summer. I, I was the first one to turn it in. I gave it to her. She looked at it. And I said, don't worry, Miss White. I know you're going to fail me. It's totally fine. Before she even had a chance to put a grade on it. And I remember her looking at me in the eyes and saying, Alex, why, did you, why do you think I was going to fail you? Like, why do you think that uh, you're going to get an F? I said, well, I hold my pencil wrong. And she's like, well, can you show me how? And not that you can see this unless you're looking at a video, but this is how I hold it. I still hold it to this day. It basically looks like a huge claw around me from top to bottom there. It's I
0: use signature. Alex signature.
1: Alex signature. That yeah. is right. And uh, I remember Miss White was saying, she's like, I think you hold it beautifully. And that just unleashed legitimately. If it wasn't for Miss White, I know that I would have stayed a CD student my whole life. But it gave me the confidence to just be who I was and to do things the way I thought worked well for me. And I think that's, for me, how I realized I was a misfit.
0: I love that you told that story because it's important that we don't undervalue or underestimate, I should say, those types of interactions that we have. There's a young man that I coached many years ago now. And at the time, he was probably about the fourth grade level. Mm And he was really struggling in school. Very similar story. He's very innovative, experimental by nature, Mm -hmm. more of a bottom liner, multitasker, does a lot of things at the same time, kind of hands on. And a lot of those things don't drive with expectations in school. So his mom, who wasn't at all wired that way, was really struggling to Mm -hmm. help her son be successful because her best practices were not his. And so that was also another layer of complexity in their relationship. But anyways, he sat on the chair in my office and he told me about this time in kindergarten when he was scalded for writing his name with a green crayon instead of a pencil. And that sounds small. And I'm sure the teacher never sure. had bad intentions, right? Mm-hmm. That teacher was just, you know, trying to get him to do um, what he or she felt was the right thing. But that little moment, and that's that's so interesting that it that your story and that young man's story came down to how you hold your pencil or what kind yeah. of pencil you use, and he was so broken down from that experience. Mm-hmm. And it started in kindergarten. And your story and his story are good reminders that it's important for anybody of any age, but especially kids, to talk about the end results not how we get there Mm -hmm. because you know the the battle cry of the misfit is that there's a whole bunch of different ways of getting there right there is no one right way Mm -hmm. and it's important that we live that out for our kids that we're of that for our kids and that we start to recognize that in things like our educational process and our even higher level education decisions and the types of career paths people take. So I love that you shared that story. So how did you get from? Did you say it's Mrs. White? Uh,
1: Miss White, yes. Ms. White, yes.
0: Maybe, maybe, maybe a Mrs. Now. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm assuming. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> she
0: sounds like a terrific woman, so I wouldn't be So how did you get from Miss White to now you are coaching people around the world on how to be successful entrepreneurs?
1: Sure. And uh, just to kind of say what you were talking about, you know, students, it always reminds me of, uh, I'm not sure if uh, you or your audience know who Harry Chapin is, but Harry Chapin had a song that was called Flowers Are Red. And if you haven't listened to that song, the song for you, Emily, and for everybody that's listening to the podcast will resonate very specifically because he talks about how the teacher got upset at the kid because he wasn't painting the flowers green or red. And I know as a parent, and I knew even then, I, I listened to that song, I think I was in sixth grade, and I immediately reco- resonated with it, immediately. But to even answer your question, I mean, as Miss as White kind of gave me the opportunity to be more successful in school and kind of be more myself is the best way to say it. I also, on the other side of it, was very, very passionate, driven, and motivated. If anybody knew me as a kid growing up, they knew that swimming was my my end-all, be-all. It became my everything to the point where I, at the age of 11, um, I I worked you know days and nights just to be able to go to the top swim coaches in the country. I would actually leave the house every single summer to go train with the best swimmers in the world by the time I was a junior in high school, I made the decision to actually leave high school, go get my own apartment, go live on my own, go work as a, a busboy and host at restaurants there, just so I could train at a school that ultimately went on to win the national championship swimming. We had a couple swimmers that went on to the Olympics and Olympic trials, etc. And while not, I obviously didn't hit my goal of you know making the Olympics by any means. It I think that having that that Ability to be tenacious with what I was passionate about allowed me and gave me this intuitive skill to truly tap into what other people's intuitive desires, dreams, goals were. After college, you know, I had I had many, I was very fortunate after college. I, was, I had opportunities with Nike, I had opportunities at a variety of hot Fortune 500 companies to take on you know, amazing internships, amazing jobs. And what did I do? I took an assistant coaching job in the middle of Iowa, which I had never been to before, making pennies and basically living on my swimmers giving me their subway points so I could actually eat free as subway. But I did that for seven years in the swimming world because I really... Had this drive and this uh, feel for what people were at their deepest levels, who they were, who they wanted to be, and how to get there. And, you know, not to talk specifically fully about business, but I believe at the, at the core of it, it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate and truly obsessed with leadership. Just the concept of the idea that what most leaders, I think most leaders in general, specifically entrepreneurial leaders, are misfits. And I think as more analytics come out and more this is the right way and more information that that voice that gut instinct that individual who they are is getting lost i think is ultimately not helping them lead the most fulfilling lives they want not helping them build the business they want not being the person that they really know inside of them they're supposed to be i think it's getting drowned out so you know all those experiences have kind of allowed me to get to where i am professionally today And as a result, I, I, you know, this is maybe going to sound like braggart, but I have the most incredible life. I've got a a wife who would definitely say we are very different, but who totally gets me, who totally appreciates me. And you know, instead of. Uh, you know, I mean, I've met some amazing people in my life, but I've never met a wife like mine, who, Amanda, who just really, you know, I thought maybe I'll never meet somebody who gets me. She does. I, I've got, you know, a son who I can just see even some of both of our qualities, but I can definitely see some of those misfit quality, even as he's grown into 13 years. That stubbornness is definitely one I see time and time again come out. But I think what's it's, you know, as far as a life goes, I think it's happening because instead of. Doing what everybody says is the right path. I'm actually going down the left path, which is the path that I created for myself and what resonates with me the most.
0: Yeah. And I like what you're talking about there, contrasting that sort of expected route with the one that's right for you. And I do find that a lot of misfits who go more that entrepreneurial route or maybe just need a lot of variety in their careers. So they might be in a more classic role, but they change that role every three years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very well-intentioned family members, parents, friends may say, sure. hey, Alex, why can't you do, just go get a stable job? Mm-hmm. Or why, why do you keep moving around all the time? Or, you know, that serial entrepreneur who wants the business finally gets stable, sells mm-hmm. it and, moves out and starts again. And everybody else is saying, what are you doing? So can you speak to that a little bit? I'm sure you've probably had someone in your life say, Hey, why can't you just go do the expected thing?
1: Yeah. Oh man, you kinda you hit uh you hit a, a story. I can even remember jumping into the game of entrepreneurship. So after After uh, seven years of being a college head coach and really having a lot of success, I knew that I was, I was looking for not only just a unique challenge, but for a unique way to impact the world. And while I wasn't a hundred percent sure exactly how that was, I always remember looking back growing up. I was always listening or going to conferences that had the people like Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, very motivational. And I knew that was the space that not only resonated with me, but that I was meant to serve at some level. So after about seven years, I moved back home, and I took a job at a, a major institution. And it just didn't, I mean, I can remember going to work the first day. And I always remember the, the whole onboarding process, it was like eight hours. And to me, it felt like, and I, have, I you know, looking back, I get why they do these things. but. Being the misfit, the the trailblazer, the let's go, let's get things done. I literally felt like I was in a morgue listening to my death sets because everything was just so basic. Well, how do you use the computer? How do you fill out this report? What's you know the chain of commands? Like I'm thinking, chain of command? Like what you mean I can't go talk to this person? If I have a question, I gotta go to this person or this person. And I can remember going into my car after the first day and I just cried. And I remember falling, just thinking, what the, the heck did I do with my life? What did I, I, I had a good job. I had, a, you know, I really enjoyed coaching. Like, what the heck did I just do? And nine months later, I, I, I couldn't take it anymore. So I, I mean, I did the dumb thing. Like when we talk about the dumb thing, you hear it all the time. I think especially now more and more that people want to start business. Listen, keep your job, get a side hustle, build some clientele, which makes complete sense. And I get it. I did the dumb thing. I left. The job didn't work out. I left. I didn't have much savings. I didn't have exactly everything built up. I just said, listen, I'm going to figure this out. I had no business idea. I just said, I'm going to figure it out. And yeah, there's a lot of struggle to that. And there were so many people that at the time were saying, Alex, you've got You've got a, a master's degree. You've got these incredible experiences. You have people that are trying to hire you to be a swim coach again. You just go down the road, and I think we all have those rational moments where it's like maybe that should be the best thing. Maybe that's the right thing to do. But there's something always in a misfit's gut. I believe Call them a trailblazer. Call them an entrepreneur. You know, whatever the identity is, that person is more likely to really listen to what they feel versus what they hear no matter how much proof you have when it comes to sharing like well this is the right way to do it that person says no no no, no. i feel something something feels wrong about doing it this way and i just kept bulldozing myself for you know fast forward seven years later like i said you know i'm in a very wonderful position in my life and i always tell people they say like well you must be happy i'm like are you kidding me? I'm happy, but I am not satisfied. There is so much. And I think that's another piece of a misfit is there is this, you can be happy without being satisfied. You can be fulfilled without being comfortable. Like every day I feel uncomfortable. Every day I feel jazzed. Every day I'm coming up with new ideas. Like that's why like, Hey, I'm building new products right now. We're hiring new people. You're stretching, pushing, challenging. You know, that's what resonates with me. And I think misfits come in all different shapes and so and forms and how they feel. But I think at the end of the day, the one thing they do time and time again is they trust themselves. They really trust who they are, what they're about, and what direction they're heading.
0: So how can parents trust their misfit kids? Because you and I, right, it definitely te- it, it tests us on our ability to eat our own peas, right? Because mm-hmm. that's easy to say, but now we're parents. Mm-hmm. And thinking about little Lincoln and my Mason and Micah, mm-hmm. you know, quitting a job and starting out and doing, you know, from one engagement to the other and taking those kinds of risks and failing and mm-hmm. any variety and change that feels a lot more scary on the parent level. Wow. So I know it takes guts and bravery to trust the instincts of our kids. Mm-hmm. So, how would you advise parents to? do just that for their misfit kids? How can they best support those kids when they're out in six years old in the middle of the road selling cucumbers?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's, uh, you know, and obviously being a, a newer parent, I will share more of my parental experience from what I saw. Not only my parents do, but what I felt worked. Obviously, I think most parents, we feel like we look at what really worked well for us. And I think as much as we try to use eq and empathetic skills to do our best to understand i think there's actually two things that i find time and time again that i go towards as a parent that for myself that i think is i hope this will resonate with people because i think it goes against very it's a very different parenting model than i think i've heard right i mean i read all the books right when my wife was there i remember reading book after book about and i can tell you that there are a lot of things in the books that are like i'm not it's just not me that's just not my parenting style that's just not like how I'm going to, to it doesn't jive with who I am, but I also look at it from two perspectives. So number one, I think that it's very easy to lose your own identity when you become a parent. It was so easy to, when Lincoln was born to, and don't get me wrong, we're all willing to sacrifice our life for our kids. We're going to do, do that immediately. And we're going to do that without even having to try because we have that bond and we have that love. But I think it's the one thing that I saw from my parents and I hope Lincoln sees from me is that it is acceptable. To make mistakes, it's acceptable to go after your dreams. It's acceptable to have ambitions. You know, when I think about even like my father now, you know, like my father today or yesterday, I think bought like fifty beehives and is now making all these this beehive farm out in you know, it's amazing, right? And people are like that's so cool and stuff like that. That's my that's been my dad. He just was always doing something, and I think watching that as a kid, saying, "Hey, I can go do whatever I need to do myself," and I think that's the first. Parenting rule for me that I want to have is that listen, I'm going to go after my goals and dreams no matter how crazy, silly, stupid. I'm going to do physical things that you know. My wife says, "Why are you doing that?" And I'm like, "Because it it fires me up there." And she's like, "All right, go for it." But I believe that's going to allow Lincoln whether he's you know if he wants to be a student scientist, I don't know what he wants to be in his life, and and he doesn't know. But I want to give him that freedom to be like, I'm going to figure it out for myself and have that space, which I also think comes to the second point. And I see this, you know, with a lot of the clients I work with. I think there is so much this, I don't know where it's come from, but I think there is a perfectionist attitude that is happening in our society so much more than there's ever been. Kids have to be perfect. We have to be perfect. We can't put the wrong post. We got to put the right picture. I don't know if it's social media. I don't know if it's being judged. I don't know if it's how we were raised. I don't know where it comes from, but I believe that the more that we really promote and allow them to make mistakes and truly make mistakes on our own and share them, I think that is going to provide that that overall space to allow them to grow in the way they want. Because I think when you limit them to saying, Well, you gotta be correct or no, 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 you do bad, um, I think you're really holding them back from saying, like, okay, if I do this, I'm gonna get punished. If I do this, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in trouble. If I do this, I'm not going to feel the same love, I want them to just, I want the this to support the effort of trying, not the result that transpires.
0: Oh, I love that. I talk about it all the time, that it's important we praise kids for effort. Mm -hmm. And we won't always get to the result in a perfect way every time. But that's life. And life doesn't operate on a straight line. And what we don't want to happen like you said is if you get so much negativity when you put forth effort, what happens is we stop putting forth effort. Yeah. And that's what I see happen a lot with kids in school when their way of learning is not appreciated or expected inside of school. So, you know, they might get really excited about a topic and by nature start talking out before raising their mm-hmm. hand. And then what happens is they get in trouble. And rather than understanding and positively directing that excitement, Mm -hmm. of course, we all have to learn, you know, socially acceptable ways of operating and respecting others. So that's important. But that wasn't um, an intentional misbehaving. That was just excitement about learning that came out in a way that wasn't expected in that environment. But what happens is when that child, and I actually was one of those kids, I got in trouble (laughs) Probably not surprisingly, right? And I was going to tell you, Alex, you have more than made up for, I think, those first four years of the talk, but uh, and, and I do a whole lot of talking, for Living, but I, my mom loves to remind me that I was put in the front seat of the classroom, and meanwhile, mm-hmm. I thought I was getting promoted somehow, but really, mm-hmm. it was because the teacher said, you distract everybody else, Emily, you know, you get your work done, and then you start talking, because the way I process information and frankly the way i think is out loud so it's it is important that we praise the effort and the fact that there's somebody's in the game and then we can work on massaging that and Mm -hmm. providing that freedom for people to be themselves and that means different things for each person but it's so upsetting to see again a young person but somebody of any age that has been told oh that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong and then they stop trying that's a much harder thing to reverse. So I love that you're talking about giving our kids praise and finding opportunities to say, hey, maybe it didn't even work out. Maybe it was a total flop. But you tried. And Mm -hmm. that's exciting. So try again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I think that's, uh, it's not even, I shouldn't even say I think. It's just such a, I see that even with the people, like adults. I think there's so much even expectations that you have to hit results that we're not allowing ourselves to even make mistakes anymore. I mean, it's on growth. Basically a, a common denominator is that you get to make mistakes again and again and again until so you get better at something. And I think that's the first piece, you know, even as parents for ourselves. I mean, it's so easy to say we've got to be perfect. I, I, 99% of the parents I have ever met, I mean, they, are incredible people they really are they're they're caring they're kind they're successful they're they're driven they they have you know incredible values they have incredible family lives i think sometimes for the the parent for myself right if i want to have a the best impact or the impact i need to have my son to allow him to grow up and be who he wants to be right i mean at the base level i got to keep him safe you know i want to make sure he's safe and he feels like there's Always a place to fall and always a place to fail. I think that's the first thing that comes in, you know, love, food, shelter. So making sure that those needs are met for him. But the second thing is that as parents, why are we holding ourselves to this standard of, man, I've got to be this perfect role model? psychology and science time and time again validate the idea that people connect with people the most when they share their vulnerabilities over and over again and as parents sharing i believe with you know LinkedIn and obviously i have nephews so we even share like we took him bowling the other day and just saying like how many mistakes i was making bowling there right i mean it, it gives them the freedom to try something there to say okay i don't have to be perfect i can go be try something different. Maybe it's in a sport, maybe it's school, maybe it's this, maybe it's a completely going, getting cucumbers and going to the side of the road and trying to sell something there. But I always love that story because it reminds me that what happened in that story is that I didn't say that my my dad came down and said, well, you should do this. My mom came down and said, well, you should do that. They just let me be. They said, "Let, let him enjoy it. Let him enjoy and let him Learn the process there, and yes, as soon as they saw me jump on the road, they came down and said, "Alex, you can't do that there. We we don't want you to get hit by a car." <laughs> but but you know, I think that's the point, and I think that's just the whole idea. I know that we want our kids to to be safe. We want them to we want to protect them naturally there. But I hope that you know, for me, and I will speak for myself, is that I hope I do let Lincoln continue to have that space to make mistakes, get scratches, break some bones. And but also learn what he really wants to be and who he really is at his core.
0: Yeah, I think that brings it full circle because the whole concept of misfit is against this utopia that there is a perfect fit in. Yeah, And there really isn't. But yeah. we create that right through social media or other expectations that we have and we create this standard that is, frankly unrealistic and would be pretty bland and dull and boring anyways, right? We don't we don't oh, nice. really want to all be the same, but yet we've created that kind of standard and then point out where we feel people fall short. Mm-hmm. And as you said, people can be misfits for all different kinds of reasons. And sometimes it's things we choose, sometimes not. But I love what you're talking about, which is let's just get rid of this whole idea that there's some perfect standard we're all mm-hmm. broken in some ways. We're all mm-hmm. capable in other ways. And it's about finding the right fit for you. Yeah. As parents, I know, and I know the listeners too. And just by virtue of listening to this podcast, that that's what they want for their kids. Mm-hmm. And it's important. Like you're talking about, which is starting off with what is that child's needs? How do they hold their pencil? Yeah. What, what do they choose the green crayon or the pencil, right? And just starting with your child and getting to know your child and leaning in and trusting their instincts and being vulnerable, mm-hmm. and, you know, being good examples. And honestly, if we do that, I think we are so far ahead of the game.
1: Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. I, I think I posted a quote on my uh, social media the other day that says you can't connect the dots looking forward only backwards. And that's from Steve Jobs. I, you know, ta- you know I think there's, so much, especially with athletics now. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't a specific sport until I decided when I was 12 years old, hey, I want to be an Olympian. And that's when I really put all my eggs in that basket. But, you know, I played baseball, I swam, I was, you know, played with my friends in the backyard, variety of basketball games, etc., hockey, roller hockey. But the one thing that I think is so interesting is that, you know, when my parents were taking me to swim practice and I'm sure my dad is thinking, Oh my gosh, why do I have to drive my son into practice at five AM this morning there when I need that extra thirty minutes of sleep (laughs) because it was a long night before? I don't think my parents, you know, at that time were thinking, Hey, this swim practice is going to motivate my son to have his first career out of college. He's going to impact student athletes around the world. He's going to, this is going to turn into a career for him. I think they just said he loves swimming. So let's let him swim. And I think as parents, that's the piece that sometimes happens time and time again. If we let go of expectations and just be in the moment, I think that will allow, because we just can't see what's going to transpire, because I assure you that most, actually, I actually read this stat, that I think it said like 70 or 80% of jobs in 10 years have not even been created today. So how, as a parent, could I know that, well, Lincoln, he clearly is this type of person, so he's going to go this direction? No. I think just being in that moment and having no expectation other than just to make sure he's learning good values, and he's also you know, enjoying the process and really discovering himself, I think that at the end of the day is going to help him figure out where he, as you said so beautifully, where he fits in.
0: I couldn't agree more. Alex, if the listeners want to learn more about you and the amazing work you're doing, where can they do that?
1: Sure. Uh, Very simply, if you're, I think a lot of people are on Instagram. So if you want to go to Instagram, it's Alex Kuhn, K-U-H-N-C-O. Um, you can find me on Facebook if you type in Alex Kuhn and my website is alexkuhn.co. And that's where I do a lot of my work. And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, we have a list of about 10,000 people on my list. And don't be wrong. There's a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space and a lot of programs we work are designed to help them build incredible businesses. But at the core of our mission, the core of our purpose is this idea that there is this unique, Success DNA piece in every single person that they weren't just born to be mediocre. They weren't born to be like everybody else. They were born different, and regardless of you know, whether you're a me, I'm a high level misfit, I get it. But I think that everybody has a unique piece to them that when they really truly discover that I think they become more fulfilled and more happy and I talk a lot about that. So you can always sign up for my list. And yeah, if you're not in the business, maybe somebody's not going to resonate with you. But there's a lot when it comes to just really fully personally developing yourself as a leader for parents or, you know, your community, I think is going to resonate with a lot of people
0: and I see tremendous value for those parents listening that have kids maybe even at the high school level so a little bit older they're interested in the entrepreneurship track but that's it. now actually there you can get an entrepreneurship degree in college uh-huh. but that's not necessarily a clear path and I would say have your kids sign up for your newsletter because it's important that they have models of very successful people who are doing this right Mm -hmm. every day and have great advice and you're even developing these kinds of folks so that would be an amazing resource for those entrepreneurial kids that are just trying to figure out hey how does this translate to me and it's positive Mm -hmm. encouraging messages. Yeah
1: I appreciate that and yeah I mean I I get a message every day on some social media from you know, a high school kid or from somebody in college. And it's not, you know, I I love for it to be always these, these positive, happy, they're doing great in life. A lot of it is confused. And a lot of it is, I need to figure out what my career is, you know, but yet everything you write is exactly what I want to do. And, you know, that to me, those messages that I write back to them are as important as, you know, working with, uh, you know, uh, an Inc 5000 CEO and, you know, their entrepreneurial misfit style and what their company is, just because at the end of the day, I think all of us parents know that we are trying to impact our kids to the best of our abilities, because we know that they are, you know, being corny, they're the future, they are the people that tomorrow, you know, when we look back, we want to say, man, that is part of the legacy that we want to leave behind. And I think at the end of the day, it's not about shaping what it's going to look like the legacy, but giving them the space to build what that future legacy is for them. And the future goes forward.
0: Absolutely. And again, it's so neat to walk alongside you in your journey and for the both of us to be working to empower people of all ages to be exactly Mm -hmm. who they are and channel that in those things in which they're passionate and to make a difference in this world that, as you pointed out, is so rapidly changing. So it starts with knowing who we are so we can go make a contribution out there. Thanks for your time, Alex. Thanks for sharing your story. So happy to have you on today.
1: Likewise, Evelyn. Thank you and to every parent or individual that listens to this podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.